Welcome to Other You, a podcast where we discuss a decision in our lives that may or may not have had a long-lasting impact. We unpack some of the factors behind it and then explore in short story form what the other version of ourselves might have experienced around that time or shortly thereafter. I'm your host, Dee. Let's see where this story takes us. Welcome back to another episode of Other You. I'm your host, Dee. Today on the show, I have with me an author. She's the author of the award-winning Henrietta and Inspector Howard series, as well as a blog dedicated to Chicago's forgotten residents called Novel Notes of Local Lore. Her book series, of which there are five, is available on Audible, Chirp, Google Play, and many other platforms. For your listening pleasure, please welcome to the show, Michelle Cox. Hi, thanks Hi. for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm excited to, to have you on and to, to chat with you. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. So um, your blog is about Chicago's Forgotten Residents. Uh, is Chicago the um, where you grew up? Is this like has this been home for you, this area, the Chicago land area? No, I grew up in a very small town um, called East Dubuque, Illinois. So mm-hmm. right at the corner where Iowa, Illinois and Wisconsin meet. So I grew up on a farm and I came to Chicago uh, for college. I won a scholarship to Mundelein hmm. and I never left. So that's oh, wow. the story. Okay. Yeah. How does, how does Chicago compare to the small farm town from which you came? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it couldn't be more different really. What? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was probably about 1400 people. So mm. it's pretty small. Um, everybody knew each other. You know, it, it's weird because one thing I did notice when I first got here is that um, <laughs> I would just be walking along the street in Rogers Park and I would I would smile at everybody. I would say, mm. you know, hello and smile because that's what I was used to doing right. back home. <laughs> And everyone would sort of look at me like it was strange. And then I finally realized that that's probably not a good idea to keep doing that. So yeah. <laughs> I had to change. <laughs> that is a that is a good lesson to learn. Weirdly, uh, I have found that people in Chicago land area are nicer than people in New York and only because we don't have to move as fast. Well, I would agree with that. I mean, I, I have never lived in New York, but I've been there uh, several times and it's really strange when you come back to Chicago, I felt like I was coming back to a small town. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. But, you know, I just think with the neighborhoods, I know Mm -hmm. New York has the boroughs and stuff like that, but you, it's just a different vibe between Mm -hmm. New York and Chicago. Yeah. Big time. It, it, I feel like the, the feel I get from Chicago is most people I know, um, or people that I knew that I grew up with, they, it felt like they came from like a single family home versus being in a building. Right. Yeah. And most everyone yeah. you meet being from a building or complex or whatever, you know? Right. So. Yeah, exactly. There's so many, you know, the little, the, the typical Chicago bungalow. Yeah. Um, And, you know, a lot of the people that I just quickly, you know, you'd mentioned the blog and, the people that I interviewed for this blog, you know, mm-hmm. grew up in, in Chicago in the thirties and forties. And some of them never, and this is honestly the truth. Some of them never left their neighborhood yeah. in Chicago. That was their whole world. So that right. that's like living in a small town. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's yeah. a good point. And so interestingly, 
the way that Chicago was, the, the architecture, the way it was built, especially the highways, it, it was intentionally meant to separate, um, like, the, the south suburbs and the southern part of the city from, like, the south loop and just south of that. So, yes. yeah, so there's there was a lot of like going to work in downtown and then going back home and never really encountering the people in between. So the people in between literally just lived their whole life in that area and, you know, secluded. And it, it's a very interesting and peculiar design of intentional segregation. Yes, for sure. And you do. I do feel I mean, I have pretty much only. Um, lived on the north side or you know hung out on the north side mm-hmm. when i have gone to the south side or the south suburbs you almost feel like you are in a different city yeah it, it is very strange like the yeah. vibe is different mm-hmm. but i have friends who live in the south suburbs and they're like oh yeah like it it's like their own community like yeah you know oh for sure it's yeah it's very fascinating to me i think one of the one of the things that really exacerbates that is the rivalry between the Cubs and the White Sox. Oh, for sure. For you sure. Know, just, <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to come up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it creates two different cultures, right? The South Side and the White Sox fandom and the North Side and the Cubs fandom. And I, I don't think I think that the, the two opposing sides are so willing to just be completely devoid of the other. It really it, it helps, <laughs> you know, define the the two different cultures living within the same city limits. Which I, thought I know was, it's I bizarre. Funny. It really is. Yeah. But so. me. all right. So cool beans. So let's, let's go ahead and let's get into your decision. Let's, let's chat about that moment in your life where a thing happened or life happened and you made a choice and you can still see the effects of it today. Okay, so, um, yeah, this decision for me happened when I was in college, and um, I guess kind of leading up to that, before that moment, all through high school, I had been trying to decide whether to be a doctor or to be a writer, and I was, I was more afraid of being a writer than I was of going through med school and residency and that whole thing. So I, I really loved both. I had, was a big book person. Um, I loved reading. I tried my hand at little stories and stuff like that. And I, I, I was told by many, many, many teachers that I was a great writer. And yet I still was so fearful of that. So Mm. I, when I got to college, I'm like, no, I'm going to pursue, you know, pre-med. And I spent the first two years um, doing all math and science. And I had a job um, in the chemistry labs, you know, as, you know, the grunt. So Mm. I would, you know, Basically, I wasn't given any important jobs to do. I just had to like wash dishes all day. Okay, just fine. Um, yeah. What happened is that um, I happened to be taking a Victorian lit class at the time because I needed to fulfill a requirement, and I really loved it and I really felt at home in that class. And then at the same time, you know, there it was one particular moment where I was standing in the chem lab doing the dishes and there were all these um, upperclassmen, went to an all women's uh, college, Mundelein. Mm -hmm. And so these older girls were standing there and um, 
they were just talking about the science and they were so passionate and so interested in in this experiment they were running and I just it just hit me I'm like you know what I don't have that kind of passion for this I think it's interesting I you know I think I'm pretty good at it but I don't feel the way I see them feeling about it and I don't think that this is what I should do with my life Mm. And so I also had this, you know, Victorian lit class and I was so loving it. And I thought, you know, you can't keep running from what your true passion is. You, you know, you're just going to have to take the plunge and do it. And so I took the steps to switch my major, which, you know, (laughs) doesn't sound like a big deal, but I had not wasted two years, but I had spent two years taking only science and math. So I had basically, because I was on scholarship and I had only four years to get a degree, I had to do a four-year lit degree in a two-year span. So that was a little bit tough and challenging, but you know, I, I was able to do it and I was really happy hmm. that I made that choice. Oh, good. Okay. So yeah. two years in, you were, were you, had had you joined pre-med yet or were you just doing math and science as your prerequisites for the first two years? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it was just a prerequisite. So, you know, junior, senior year, I would have had to start, you know, applying to, you know, med school and, you know, taking that, gotcha. that direction. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And then you started from scratch uh, doing English classes. I love it. Did you do summer? Yeah. Did you do summers? I didn't. And it, it further, I, I further screwed myself up by um, <laughs> going to abroad for a semester. So I, oh. you know, it's strange because it's like there was this huge poster that was like my inspiration in, you know, in the, 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 cause the old chemistry labs. And it was, it was this giant poster about studying abroad. And it was, the title was study chemistry in London. And, I was so intrigued by that. And I thought all along that, you know, wow, studying chemistry in London, that sounds so neat. But what I didn't realize is that it really had nothing to do with chemistry. I just wanted to go to London. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually stole that poster and hung it up in my dorm room as sort of like an inspiration. Oh, my God. So I went to London my first semester as a tech, you know, quote, real English major. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to my advisor ahead of time and I said, okay, so all of this is going to transfer, right? Because it, it has to transfer because I'm going to be out of time. Right. So they said, oh, yeah, yeah, it will transfer. Well, of course, you know, the predictable thing happened. I came back and they're like, oh, no, this can't transfer. Just, like, just ah. kidding. So I had to go before, you know, the, the, the board and all this kind of stuff and argue mm. my case. And so they finally gave it to me. So, wow. but yeah, I had to, had to scramble. <laughs> Gee, that's, wow. Well done. Because, yeah. man, <laughs> I feel like I would have, I would have been. I don't know that I would have been able to just fight and be like, no, no, excuse me. Um, you will count this. I, I know. I know. Actually, when I look back at that, I'm like, I can see myself doing that today. No problem. But then, right. oh, as, yeah. you know, a 19, 20 year old, I was, I'm really surprised that I, I had the, the, the courage mm-hmm. to, to do it. But I think it was because I was desperate because I had no money and there's just, mm-hmm. I would have had to drop out. There's just no way I could come up with the tuition. Uh. Um, to finish. So I, 
you know, it was kind of a do or die. Gotcha. Did, do, do, did I remember hearing you say that you, you got a scholarship? Yeah, I did. So I had a full scholarship. So I had full tuition. All I had to pray for was room and board. Okay. Um, and, but even still, I, you know, still had to take out loans to cover that and mm -hmm. I worked constantly. So did it, yeah. so it, but it was an academic scholarship, right? Yes, it was. Academic. Okay. So you could change your major and that's fine. I'm just, I'm wondering if it's like when kids go for a sport. Right. And then oh. they're like, I hate this. I'm going to play a different sport or whatever. They lose their scholarship <laughs> most of the time. Well, curious. I, yeah, it, I didn't lose it for transferring, you know, from one major to another, but I would have lost it, of course, if I had my GPA had dropped. Right. So All I think right. I had to keep like a 395 or a 38 or something like that in wow. order to keep it. That's an aggressive, <laughs> aggressive requirements. <laughs> it okay. was. It was tough. Wow. Okay. It, I'm into really that tough. though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All but right. notice I still didn't have the courage to change to like a creative writing degree. It's right. like that was still too scary. Mm -hmm. I, I picked literature as like a close second. Okay. <laughs> did you did you end up um going to grad school? I didn't. I one of the reasons I didn't want to is because I was really tired of being poor. Fair. <laughs> um, because I had gone to um, an expensive um, high school as well, and private high school, and um, I had to pay for part of that. And so, you know, it was really, it felt like eight years of, of you know, being poor. And yeah. relatively, I mean, I know you can counter that with real poverty. Um, sure. So I decided, no, you know what, I'm just going to get out and, and work. And then, you know, it's like a year later, I'm like, oh, I kind of miss school. Yeah. <laughs> Working sucks. So I I did reapply. I think I applied to DePaul and okay. I started a master's and I'm like, you know what, this is actually not what I want to do either. <laughs> so, uh, um, so I stopped with that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My life took a different change. That could be another one because my husband and I, at the time we were thinking, okay, we're going to both go back and get our master's and, mm -hmm. you know, do something with that. But we were also in the process of, you know, trying to think about adopting a child. Okay. Um, and so we decided, we both took one graduate class to try to think about that. Mm -hmm. And we both decided, no, let's, let's go the baby route. So okay. we both quit grad school and decided to devote ourselves to the, the whole giant process of adopting. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And, and how uh, do you have adopted children now? Yeah. So we, we did, we went through like a whole year of the whole thing, you know, you have to go through like this fingerprinting and psychological testing and mm -hmm. classes and counseling. And, you know, it's a long slog, which yeah. it should be. Um, and then we eventually, um, the sh very short answer is that we we were chosen almost right away. They told us that we would have to wait a couple of years, but the the agency that we were with, the birth parents get to choose, and they unexpectedly chose chose us. Oh wow! So we bumped to the top, and we adopted a little baby boy. We were there when he was born, oh. um, but then unfortunately <laughs> my husband passed away suddenly when oh. our son was two. Um, he died of a heart attack 
And so then I eventually remarried and had two biological children Okay. Um, with my current husband. So we have two biological and one adopted. Oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry for your loss. I wasn't saying that's oh. fun, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Okay. <laughs> right on. No worries. Right on. Okay. So, um, at the, were you married at the time of switching from, um, medicine, like pursuit of medicine to pursuit of literature? No. So, um, no, I was a sophomore in college mm-hmm. and when I made the switch and then I did not get married. Um, I think I got married in 93. So three years after I graduated is gotcha. when I got married. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, then, uh, what was family life like for you then, um, at, at the time of the decision? So we'll say you graduated in 90, 1988 would have been when it's, when it happened, right? Your decision. Okay. So in 1988, what was family life like? Parents, siblings? Well, you know, my, my whole family. So I had, you know, my parents and I had, uh, two younger sisters, two younger brothers. And, um, they were all, you know, back in my uh, hometown. So, okay. uh, you know, it's funny because my mom of, so often feels bad because, um, you know, when she sent me off to college, I was just sort of off on my own in Chicago, which they did not want me to go to Chicago. <laughs> they thought it was, you know, right. city of evil and all right. that kind Dan- of thing. And danger. something terrible would happen to me. Yeah. Um, but I was determined to go anyway. Pretty much because of the scholarship, you know, sure. I, it, it wasn't this, yeah. you know, like it is now where like, you know, kids go on all these college trips and, you know, they're trying to decide mm-hmm. for me, it was wherever I could get the most money. So yeah. I had, you know, applied to a lot of different colleges and, you know, this is the one that was offering the most money so that it would just made sense to me, but it did not <laughs> make sense to my parents. Sure. Um, and by the time my youngest sister went to college, you know, my parents were much more involved. They had been through it now four other times and Mm. they kind of understood the whole picture a little bit better. They themselves had never gone to college. So when I went, they had no idea what to expect. And I was really on my own. I was really, you know, just very, very independent. Yeah. And they, they feel bad about it now, but because they gave so much help and support to, to the younger ones, but you know, it, I don't, <laughs> not resentful at all. I don't hold it against them because okay. you know, yeah, it, it is what it is. And it made me actually a really strong person. Yeah. So. I mean, the oldest kids are what I call the pioneer kids. Yes. Right. Exactly. You, you, you get to be the one to, um, like mo- most often you're the oldest kids uh suffer under the the tightest rules mm-hmm. and you know <laughs> they're the first babysitters of the family they are you yes. know parent number 3 most often right so they're the they're the pioneer kids and then yes. i mean it get, it becomes more lax the further down you go so Oh God, are you kidding? It's like, it's so, well, my, me, me, my brother and sister, we were like the, the kids that, you know, 
the 1960s, 70s mm-hmm. family. And then there's like a big gap. And then my parents, I don't know, decided to have two more kids for mm-hmm. some reason. And they're like the 80s, 90s kids. So it's ah. like we are really like two separate families. And my parents were completely different parents to the younger two than they were to us. It's, it's just shocking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how it goes. I remember when I was a kid, I'm one of five also, but I'm, num- I'm number three. Um, okay. And I remember when my youngest brother, uh, when my parents said, you know, you don't have to take a nap. The rest of us were like going to flip furniture. We were like, how dare you? How dare you say he doesn't have to nap? We all had to nap. I don't know why that was the thing that we all like banded together and protested. Yeah. Yeah. The nap. Yeah. The nap. It was so important. It was so, just because we all hated it. We're like, no, he has to suffer too. It's not fair. It's it's not fair. He should have protested the chores. Yeah. Yeah. The chores. Goodness gracious. Although. We had to do so many more than they did. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Oh, that's great. Um, and then, so were you, were you working at the time? Yeah. So, I mean, I started, I started working when I was 11 (laughs) Um, and speaking of, on the farm or at the general store? Well, I started as a babysitter for, you know, 11, not for my, I mean, I was always a babysitter for my siblings, but you know being a babysitter for people other people in the town and then you know my dad was like a huge worker and like uh like a workaholic which i took after um but like by the time you were 16 if you didn't have a job he's like you know he he would find one for you (laughs) right i always remember my sister he's she didn't want to get a job at 16 and he came home one day and he's like you know you start at the video store on monday (laughs) (laughs) thanks dad (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. So I did everything. I mean, like I was like a migrant worker for a while. Like I picked strawberries and tomatoes for local farms. And okay. anyway, it went on and on. So I always had a job. Okay. By the time I got to freshman year of college, I think that was the the first time in my life since I was 11 that I didn't have like a job and except for to go to school. So it was weird. So it was a, a one month literally into school and my chemistry professor asked me to stay after and she said, do you want a job in the labs? And I said, I sure do. <laughs> ah. So I started um, working in, in the labs basically, oh, okay. like I said, as a dishwasher. Gotcha. Okay. So in, in my brain, when you said you were washing dishes in the lab, that was just part of your schoolwork. I didn't realize that was, you were working for dollars yes i was working for dollars gotcha okay okay so you worked at the lab um so were you just like were you exclusively the dishwasher or were you like a lab (laughs) hand like anything that needed to be done they were like yo michelle get on it uh you know as a freshman it's pretty much like you know the dishwasher or the the you know sweep up or something like that but Mm -hmm. um when I was a sophomore, then I got to actually start prepping labs for you know, the younger classes. Okay. So making up basic chemicals for them to use in their experiments and stuff like that. that um, and it's funny, <laughs> after I made my switch to um, literature, my chemistry professor was so kind and she was so supportive, but she said, you know, could you still work in the lab though? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, sure. Oh, nice. So okay. I, yeah, I did do that. And then that, like I said, that the, the fall of my junior year, I went abroad. And so I really needed, you know, some, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, I worked in the lab all through the summer. Um, even though of course there were no students there, but they, um, this really ancient like storeroom that needed to be cleaned out and inventoried and all of that. So that was my job. And then I also worked on one of those, you know, cruise things in like Michigan. Mm-hmm. I was like a cocktail waitress. Oh, fun. Those are the and best. one of those. Yeah. <laughs> the booze cruise and nice. all those. Love it. So yeah, I did a double worked double to get ready for my trip. Gotcha. Okay. Curious, uh, did you have any hobbies at the time? So if you're, if you're working two jobs before your trip abroad, you're studying hard, um, and like leading up to the decision to switch majors, did, did you have time for hobbies? And if you did, did you have any hobbies? I know currently you like to collect board games. Was that a hobby back then as well? <laughs> it really wasn't. No, um, okay. I, you know, I grew up playing games, and I think that's where it all started. Okay. I... You know, by the time, I mean, I spent my freshman summer back home on the farm, but after that, I spent every summer in Chicago because that's where I could make more money. Mm, okay. So, I mean, really the only hobbies that I had was would be, of course, reading. Um, okay. But then, you know, <laughs> probably... Just with my little core group of friends. I mean, our favorite thing was just go to dance clubs, stuff like that. Right. Okay. Reading or dance clubs. But not during the school year. I imagine during the school year, especially because of the pressure of having to maintain such a high GPA, it was all school and all work and no play. Uh, Well, we did. We did manage to party on the weekends. But during the school week, no. No. Okay pretty strict okay um what music were you into at the time well i was really into all the you know what what would be called alternative back then so the smith secure all that kind of stuff so we used to go to places like 950 and neo and um it's funny because i had my best friend and she's still my best friend um amy I had her and I had another close friend, Otto, and it was it was kind of funny because I was this very innocent, naive farm girl who had come to the big city and they were were both from Chicago. And so Mm -hmm. we all became friends and they delighted in you know, showing me the big city and, you know, introducing me to all this different kinds of food that I had never tasted and all this music that I had never heard before. Because when it, (laughs) when I was growing up, my parents never listened to the radio. And if they had, there wasn't really, you know, an FM station. There was, but you know, we never listened to that. So that was one of the reasons why I used to love bailing hay with my uncle is because he had a little transistor radio um, that he had rigged up onto the tractor. Mm. So that was the only time that I got to hear popular music was when we bailed hay. (laughs) Isn't that sad? (sighs) So yeah, when I got to the city, it was like a whole new world to me. And, you know, so I 
it was like a you know sensory explosion wow okay i can dig it i can dig it but big into (laughs) alternative rock mostly like 80s rock stuff right pretty much yeah okay which would have been like modern popular music at that time well you know what it was it really wasn't top 40 it was more like joy division or um nine inch nails or the smiths or the cure or stuff like that okay okay all right i'm into that um what was what was a typical routine like for you what was a a typical day-to-day for you in the time you're this is before the the decision what, what did a typical day look like for you? Pretty boring. I mean, I would lived in the dorms, so you know, get up, um, go to class, have lunch, um, study, you know, meet up with friends for, you know, dinner usually in the dorm and then, uh, or the, you know, the, and then maybe have a few hours of hanging out in the dorms with, you know, friends, but then, probably head to the library for you know several more hours of studying or homework if you know the dorms were allowed so that was pretty much it i mean the weekends we had and then worked in between there were like you know work shifts um Hmm. that was when i just had the the chemistry job you know my routine with the on the ship that summer before that was insanity Hmm. um that was kind of post decision, so okay. I don't know if you want to include that because gotcha. there were there were there were times when I would work nineteen hour shifts, and I'm not exaggerating because I would do like three cruises in a row. Yeah, and the dorms were closed over summer, so I would go back and I stayed at Amy's um, parents' place, which was in Elmhurst, and so I would drive home from Navy Pier. Um, I would put my really gross, disgusting uniform in their washing machine. I would set my alarm for two hours. I would get up. I would put on the uniform wet (laughs) and then drive back to Navy Pier. By the time I got there, it was dry. And then, you know, do the whole thing again. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that was crazy. And then if I didn't have three um, cruises scheduled, like if I had a break, then I would take those hours to go back to Mundelein and work on that the you know, the, the gross ancient stock room that I was supposed to be cleaning out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But outside of, of that, it was mostly just school, work, dinner, study, school, work, dinner, study. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Okay. Yep. Um, so b- before you had that epiphany that you don't have the passion for this like these girls do who were just gushing over the stuff that they were doing right 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 um, bef- before you had that epiphany what was your projection for life you decided you were going to get into medicine what were you actively working toward well i thought that i wanted to be an obgyn Okay. Um, because I thought it would be amazing to deliver babies. I don't know why, but I just had that in my mind. And this whole time, my mom was, you know, she's like, I just don't see you in this profession. I don't, 
I don't think this is a good fit for you. And I thought she was just being negative, you know, at the time. Um, but now I see that she really could see something that I couldn't. Hmm. Um, so I thought I was going to be an OBGYN and I thought I would, you know, be married and have children and have this successful career. But what I, one of the tiny, tiny cracks that started to sort of invade that vision was, you know, not just that I didn't have this passion, not that I was, you know, really on fire in this Victorian lit class. It was also that I was starting to to think about it in a real way, what does my future look like? And I thought, you know, I really wanted to be a mom. I really wanted to be home with them. Like my mom had been home with us. And so I thought, well, wait a minute, what are you doing? You're not going to spend 12 years or however long it takes, you know, working towards this career and then just turn it off when you want to have kids. So I, I kept thinking like, okay, but you know, you're, you're always trying to rationalize with yourself. Like, well, you know, I'll work it out. I can do it. And all this blah, blah, blah. But I kept thinking about, okay, what if it's, you know, one of the kids birthday and, you know, I have, we're doing this big party and all of a sudden I get a call that, you know, I've got to go to the hospital and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't, I can't, I don't know what I would do in that situation. And I'm sure if I had gone through with it, obviously I would have found a way to, you know, to handle that mentally mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. But at the time as a 19 year old, I was having serious doubts that I wanted to, to have this big career. Um, Interesting. Knowing that I also really wanted to be a mom. So it really was like sort of a moment of truth. So it's like, it kind of all came together at one in one big ball. Like, you know, maybe this isn't really what you should be doing. Okay. That's interesting. Someone I know was delivered by a doctor in um, an evening gown who was like at a gala (laughs) (laughs) and it's like, they were scheduled to like induce a few days later, but baby decided to come early. And this doctor was like in heels in her dress. And she's like, all right, let's get this baby out. I got to go back to my party. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. So I, I I imagine, I imagine it would be a lot of that if you were trying desperately to, you know, manage home and work. But my first thought when, when you said, that you were um that you wanted to have a career and then you really wanted to get married and have kids and I'm like oh how was she gonna juggle that yeah right and I know so many women do it and they do it so well but I didn't think that that's what I wanted to do you know what's funny like I have never had a conversation with someone when I'm asking them these questions men particularly And they have literally never said, you know, I really wanted a family, but I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to manage. I don't, I I wasn't sure how I would manage home life and work. And I'm like, why, why is, why do women, why is it only women are like really thoughtful about this? It's a really great question. And a lot of women authors get irritated. I don't. Well, a lot of women authors get irritated when Mm -hmm. interviewers ask them how they manage, you know, 
home and kids and the, their their writing career because that's never a question that male authors get. Yeah. But I understand. I don't get offended at it because it's it's reality. Sure. I mean, that's a real thing, whether you think it's fair or not. Mm-hmm. It is usually the woman who is, you know, dealing with you know, managing the house and dealing with the kids. Right. So I think it's a fair question, but mm-hmm. I can also understand how people are offended. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. So in 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 my house, we um, I, so I have never had the mentality that um, I'm going to go out and work. And my wife, she's going to take care of the house and all the babies and stuff. I always, like, even from when we were dating, I was like, all right, babe, you and I, we're partners. Everything we do, we do together. So in my head, if we have kids, like, we'll coin flip to see if one of us is going to stay home and be the stay-at-home parents. We'll just do a coin flip. Like, I'm, I have. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm all about the stay-at-home dad life. I mean, whatever. Because in, in my head, when she'll, like, if I, like, um do a load of laundry or whatever. She's like, Oh, thank you so much for helping me. I'm like, yo, I'm not, I'm not helping you. I'm participating. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth though. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not doing you a favor by sweeping the floors. I live here. This is my house too. I I'm, I'm participating in (laughs) the upkeep. I mean, so, I mean, I, 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 I get, I get her mindset and I get that it's, like oftentimes men are like applauded for doing the bare minimum because oh, their life is so hard going to work and then coming <laughs> home tired and then having to eat that whole plate of food that their wife, you know, cooked two hours ago and it's cold now, darn it. You know, like <laughs> all of that. So, I, yeah, I know. I know it's, it's, it's so, um, it's interesting. Isn't it? And, and Sometimes if I'm like irritated with my husband, I'll be like, you know, I wish I had a wife because <laughs> it's true. You know, it's like somebody to, yeah, like you're saying cook dinner and, but he's great too. I mean, he cooks a lot. He does a lot of dishes and um, that kind of stuff too. And we used to live near um, a couple and from the very get go, she had a very high powered career um, and he was a game designer. Ooh. So when the kids came along, it was just so natural for him to be the one to stay home with the kids. And you know what? He did a brilliant job. Um, He was like a natural. So sometimes I think it's not necessarily whether you're a man or a woman. I know that's the way it's set up now. Mm -hmm. But I think that some, some, it kind of depends on your personality, not your gender. Sure. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah I like. Yeah, I love when people ask me, like, "Oh, would you be intimidated if your wife makes more?" No. <laughs> no, I'd be glad. Yeah. No. Are you kidding? What? I'm gonna complain about being wealthier than I am because she's like, "Get out of here." No. No. Yeah, so. I think that's such an outdated concept. Yeah. Like, who cares? It, yeah, it really. It seriously is. It seriously is. All right. So we know what your your practical pursuits were. What were your hopes and dreams during the time leading up to your decision? The, like, this is where the fairies live. Like, y- you thought, I'm going to have this career. I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to get married and I want to have kids. Uh, and so that's what you're working towards. So what is, what was the unattainable dream that you entertained at that time? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, 
I don't know if I had much beyond, uh, you know, achieving an MD. Um, I think that was sort of a, that was pretty high fruit on the tree for me. I mean, of course you're going to say, oh, you know, I would love to travel and all this kind of stuff. But I think that everybody thinks that really, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't have any, uh, I have more like sort of <laughs> unicorn type dreams now than I did then. I think because I, I don't know, I think I, because I was already living in such an alternate reality than what I had grown up in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it didn't take, it, it didn't take too much. Gotcha. What's what's an example of a unicorn dream right now? Ha! Well, a unicorn right, dream right now would be for the series to um, be adapted to like Netflix or you ah. know, HBO, something like that. That's what I'm sort of actively pursuing. Okay. So I don't know if it's really a unicorn thing, but yeah, that would be um, that's sort of the pinnacle for me. Okay. As if yeah. the, the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series became adapted. Yes. And, it. you know, I mean, I don't think it's, well, you can say it's, it's, is it, is it realistic or not? It's not realistic because every author says that. Sure. Um, and because right now I have talked to two uh, production companies um, and just, you know, loose talks, but um Hollywood apparently, uh, so I've been told, hates period dramas, even though the um, the public loves them. Right. Uh, but they're just too expensive, and yeah. um, coming out of COVID, nobody wants to 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 make those. So it is pretty huh. unrealistic. But on the other hand, I am not exaggerating. I have probably received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of emails from readers saying. When is this going to be on Netflix? Hmm. This would make an amazing series. Yeah. I wish I could see this on Netflix because it, this, the series is written as it's very visual. So mm-hmm. people say when they read it, they really feel like they have been transported back to that era. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, I, it, it's weird. It's like I'm on some sort of pilgrimage for, for Clive and Henrietta to, to, to get them up on the big screen. And sometimes it's so discouraging. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I am wasting my life for this goal. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, Never ends. Life is part, part of life is the fanciful pursuits, right? I always, yes. I, I feel like everyone has to have an outer space dream. <laughs> you have to have one that lives in outer space amongst the stars that whether you truly believe you can reach it or not, I just, I think everyone needs to have one that far away. It ke- I feel like it keeps us grounded and it keeps that like that childish hope in the possibilities of, you know, unfettered joy alive. So that's a good point. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, professionally, yes, that's definitely, you know, sort of a pie in the sky. Um, he interviewed on NPR. That would be another awesome. Nice. Okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> but, you know, then when once you once you have kids in the mix, you know, it it kind of changes your perspective a little bit because, you know, to see them be happy and settled and, you know, 
pursuing the life that they were meant to pursue, mm -hmm. that trumps anything that's, you know, in, yeah. in my little personal dream chest. So I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any quirks or did you have any quirks at the time? You know, I can't remember anything like that at the time. I would, it's not a very nice one. I used to, uh, you know, I probably should have seen a therapist or something, but I used to pull out my hair. Okay. I think there's actually a name for that. So there's like, I, I finally had like a tiny little bald spot. I think I was under so much pressure. Uh, um, and I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? So, you know, I quickly stopped that, but... Okay. I was one. Like one um, at a time or would you grab handfuls? Oh, no, just like one at a time. One at a time plucking out yeah, your hair. Yeah, it was hairs. like really soothing. Wow. Okay. Right. Yeah, I could probably write some sort of dissertation on that. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think we are, I think I'm, I'm in a good place and I have some pretty good information to build a story. Um, Yay. A little bit just like one more follow-up for clarification did you feel like you were under a lot of stress when you were in um in your math and science classes before you broke away from the pursuit of medicine did you feel stressed out at that time or was it fairly easy going for you um that's a good question i think it was it was stressful because you know, the material was difficult, but I think I became more stressed at, after the decision because I took on more jobs and I also, um, you know, I was having to make up so much work in such a short period of time. I actually like would, my senior year, I had so many novels to read and essays to write in order to graduate that I actually timed myself in how long it took to read, you know, wow. let's say a page, and then multiplied it out to figure out how much time it was going to take to read all of these novels. And that didn't include writing uh, the essay, and it didn't include sleeping. And... I calculated that I actually did not have enough minutes of time. So then I had to go to plan B, which was to skim, <laughs> <laughs> to skim these novels and, you know, write you know, final essays on them, which was very stressful because that was, you know, my big senior year projects and wow. all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there was a lot of pressure in switching. There was a lot of work. I took on like a lot of, you know, other employment mm -hmm. You know, after the, the cruise ships, I had many other jobs. And um, also because I was, you know, it was my dream to go to London. And, you know, you'd think my, my parents were upset about me coming to Chicago. They were even more furious <laughs> when I said I wanted to go to London. Your parents were unhappy with you leaving the country? Get out of here. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was. And I had to give up my scholarship for one year because Mundelein did not offer, you know, a study abroad program. So I had to, I had to drop out of Mundelein and rescind my scholarship for one semester, enroll into Dominican, which was Rosary at the time. Oh, interesting. And it's because we wanted to go with their program. They were going to the UK. 
So I enrolled in rosary, but I didn't have a scholarship. So I had to pay for one whole semester on my own. Wow. And they just thought that that was the most um, foolish, foolish thing that they had ever heard of. Wow. So they actually said, we are not giving you one cent, oh. not one penny do we, towards this trip. Do we have the same parents, you and I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm painting them as so mean. They really were. They no. just, that was just where they were coming yeah, from. Yeah. It's like my parents were all very excited for all of us to go to college. Like they were like, no, you're, you're going to go to college. We're not going to help you pay for it, but you're going to go to college. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So all five of us, we all went to college, but it was just like, they were all just like, just so you guys know. No. <laughs> you're on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. We all were too. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. So there was that sort of pressure, I think, was part of it, too, is knowing that I was, you know, doing something that they just really didn't approve of and knowing that I, you know, was completely, you know, doing it on my own. So, okay, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Great. Yeah. Okay. That that helps me out. I think and I think I have an idea of where I'm going to take it. Um, Okay. So. For right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. You're going to listen to some music. And when we come back, you will hear the story that I will have written for Michelle called Other Michelle. Stick around. back i hope you enjoyed that little musical break again my guest today on the show is michelle cox if you would like to follow her on the interwebs hit up her website michellecoxauthor.com 
She has a Facebook like page as well, facebook.com slash Michelle Cox author. And you can find her on Twitter at Michelle Cox 33 and Instagram at Michelle Cox writes. All of those are on her website. So check it out. It has links to her work where you can buy them some other about, uh, and as well, some of the information about her blog where she talks about, um, old people in Chicago and the stories they have that most of us would never hear if not for people like her. Excellent. So, um, are you working on anything now or are we promoting your most recent book? Is that the main focus right now? Um, yeah, pretty much. I mean, um, book five of the series came out last April. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm still sort of writing the coattails of that. Um, also all of the audiobooks came out, so I am mm -hmm. kind of working to promote those. And then of course I'm writing book six and I'm also mm -hmm. writing a different standalone novel. So <gasps> I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> Ooh, fun. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So check out her website. It has all the information about her books. There are five currently in the series of the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series, 1930s investigative romance and all kinds of lovely things. Check it out. There's a, a lot of twists and turns, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. It's kind of a big saga. So. Woot. Did you know it was going to be a big saga when you started? No, not at all. I was only writing one book. It was just it was supposed to be one off. Gotcha. But then I kind of fell in love with the characters halfway through and I didn't want to let them go. Oh, okay. So I tried to think of a way to turn this into a series. So I had to change a couple of things. Okay. Um, but I think I, I think I did it pretty well. So, um, yeah. So then we transitioned into a series. Excellent. All yeah. right. And then from what I understand, the, the later books that you leave them on a bit of a, a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. Each one ends with a little, the mystery's wrapped up, but, um, you know, sort of the, the, the sagas or the character arcs, there's mm. always a little bit of a, of a cliffhanger at the end of Fun. what's going to happen. Yeah. Fun. Those are infuriating. <laughs> but I know I've so gotten a fun. couple of angry emails believe yeah. me how dare you I know I love it I love it I love it and like I'm anytime I think of a cliffhanger I'm reminded of uh what was it there was there was a tv show so many years ago this is in the 90s and like I can't fully remember what it was called but I know it was about a girl whose dad was an alien and I'm pretty sure it was like my father the alien or something it was called that <laughs> it's all about her she like learns that she can do things with her like right and so it was very exciting and I remember the, the season ended on a major cliffhanger like we're about to meet her dad and she walks out the room and there he is we don't see him and it says to be continued and they canceled the show <gasps> Oh, oh no. <laughs> yes. that's the worst. Yes. So, like, that is the worst. I have this separation anxiety now with <laughs> with things. When that it's season ends. Yes. Anytime there's a cliffhanger, I like I have like heart palpitations. Like <laughs> what, what's gonna happen now? You know? <laughs> so I know what you mean. I try not to make it that that drastic, but gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Give it a give it a go. Again, that is MichelleCoxAuthor.com. That Yay. being said, are you ready? to hear your story i am ready i can't wait Excellent. i can't wait all right so here is the story of other michelle the many times over clean beaker in other michelle's hands squeaks as she surreptitiously runs the sponge in her hands over the mouth of the small glass item staring blankly at the large poster with an image of london and a promise of excitement with all things new and foreign other michelle mouths her silently to herself what are you doing the untouched stack of dirty dishes sits at her right, 
The beaker in her hand is all she's touched. The hour of scrubbing has done little to move her closer toward the completion of her daily tasks. Sweep the floors, wash the used dishes, and prep the next class's chemical compounds for their lab assignments for the day. Starting on the dishes, she is further behind than when she started. Distracted, other Michelle grabs from the cabinet a collection of test tubes and a rack to hold them, Erlenmeyer flasks, pipettes and droppers, graduated cylinders, and several sets of tongs. She laid them out on the counter and mindlessly grabbed a beaker and headed to the sink and began scrubbing. Nearby, she can clearly hear several students talking loudly and excitedly about their projects. The passion they muster as they describe their studies, their potential fields of study, after receiving their BS, and the excitement with which they will pursue medicine or science fills other Michelle's mind with doubt. The effort to finish school on her scholarship and pursue medicine immediately thereafter has been weighing on her. Her own tiny atlas, whose grip has begun to wane, whispers to her nightly, questioning her resolve, challenging her pursuits. He calls again to her in the voices of these women happily recounting their experiments mere feet from her. Chills climb her spine, and goose pimples dance listlessly along her arms from her shoulders to her fingertips. Small sweat droplets form at her brow, threatening to repel down her face, but for the meantime hold tightly to her hairline. She freezes, shaking subtly as she wrestles in her heart and mind whether she's chosen correctly. The fear of pursuing pursuing writing, writing binds her, but the uncertainty of her decision to pursue medicine claws at her confidence. Mary, a student with wavy, flared-out hair, an honest smile and penetrating eyes, notices other Michelle, quietly scrubbing a clean beaker and approaches silently. Hey, twin, you doing okay? Startled, other Michelle yelps and drops the beaker in her hands into the sink before her. It smacks the water with a plop and splashes up onto her apron. I'm sorry for yelling. You scared me, other Michelle stutters. I didn't mean to scare you. I saw you kind of in a trance and wanted to make sure you were okay, Mary assures. I've been watching you clean that beaker for like 20 minutes. It's not my intention to tell you how to do your job. I mean, you're really good as a lab assistant, but I, I think you can move on to the next item there if you want. What? Has, has it been that long? I, I hadn't noticed. Are you distracted, Brother Michelle? I can't, I can't tell the girls to maybe... I can tell the girls to maybe lower the volume of their conversation if it's distracting you. Brother Michelle closes her eyes and takes a deep breath and purposeful breath. Staring into the darkness, she listens to the sounds of the room and breathes in sterile scents of sanitizer, soapy water, and a myriad of perfumes. Mary, can I tell you something? Sure, the Michelle. I'm all ears. I'm questioning my choice. Are you thinking of quitting your job here? Surely that's not necessary. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not about that. I don't think I'm come out, cut out for medicine. I'm, I want to be a doctor. I do. I want to deliver babies and counsel women on how best to nurture the life inside of them as they carry their children. I want to have children of my own. I just don't love science. I don't love math. I don't love the pursuit of this BS. Here, feel this. She takes Mary's hand and places it against her chest. The pounding of her heart smacks at the bony fingers of Mary's outstretched hand. Wow, it's beating so fast. It gets like this sometimes. Not from excitement, though. I think, I think it's anxiety. Mary lets a wave of calm flow from her down her arm and into other Michelle's torso. She smiles sweetly. She fills her heart with compassion and pours it from her gaze into other Michelle's eyes. Other Michelle, it's okay to question things. It is totally okay to be unsure. You don't have to be anxious. You know, I have gone through two years of schooling. You know what that means? We're halfway there. You're doing great too. You're amazing at your job. You're an incredibly hard worker and you're so talented. I know it's totally normal you want to be a mom, and you're going to be a great mom. That doesn't mean 
You have to have all the passion in the universe right now. It'll come. Stay the course with it, Michelle. Thanks, Mary. You're right. I don't even remember how long I wanted to be a doctor, but I know that I want to be one. Besides, I don't have to be as passionate about science as those girls there, or anyone for that matter. Other Michelle and Mary pause briefly and let the rest of their conversation happen in a moment of silence looking into each other's eyes. Some time passes. Other Michelle slowly unpacks several boxes. The ones labeled important are the first to be unpacked. Inside lie copious amounts of sticky note pads, some with the top note filled with, I love you, and what's up, doc, and you're the best, barely legibly scrawled on them. Pens, pencils, RX pads locked inside bank bags with a key mechanism on the zipper and all of her certifications. Other Michelle notices an envelope. It's blank, sealed. It has some heft as she lifts it. All the seams are glued tightly shut and there's tape over the glued seams. A pet peeve of Other Michelle's is using scissors to open envelopes. Where's my letter opener, she says to herself and begins feverishly searching the box. Aha! There is always a tool for the job. Always. She retrieves the small letter opener and begins to try to sneak it beneath this tightly secured flap. It does not give. After several minutes of trying, a frustrated other Michelle throws the envelope onto her desk and returns to the box on her lap. She finds her MD from Loyola, her USMLE license and ACOG license, and secures them proudly on the wall above the fish tank with the lonely fish. There were two, but now just one remains. She swims along happily when she is not resting peacefully at the bottom of the tank besides the tiny cross planted in the faux mound. Stop staring at me, other Michelle scolds the envelope on her desk. I'm not going to use scissors. I'm not. Over the course of the next several hours, she paces back and forth, retrieving items from the boxes labeled resources and placing them on the floor-to-ceiling shelves that adorn the walls of her tiny office. Not all the shelves are filled with medical books, however. The shelves closest to her desk and within arm's reach are overflowing with Withering Heights, Bleak House, Middlemarch, and a host of other Victorian novels and Gothic romances. Forever changed by a single class, one that gave her pause enough to question everything. She never goes anywhere or does anything without a copy of Jane Eyre in her pocket to remind her of who she was and who she has chosen to be. Other Michelle takes a well-deserved break and stands at the window overlooking the downtown skyline and watches as the orange of the waning sunlight mingles with the deep blue of a sparsely cloudy sky. The cars on the streets below make the city look as if it's on fire as they scoot along hurriedly. As the light outside dims, she notices a silhouette of a reflection in the glass. Happy 30th. You're 30, other Michelle. 30, and here you are in your own office, of your own practice with your own clients. You did it. An angry sigh fills her lungs. Fine, I'll use scissors. She yanks at the envelope on her desk that seems to be taunting her. She taps the envelope against her thighs, settling its contents at one end of the short side and snips the other. She shakes loose its contents. A collection of photos slide out into her open hand. They catalog her journey from college until a few years ago, most of them taken with her head in a book or her fingers playing with single strand of hair not long before it's unceremoniously yanked from her scalp, standing before a chalkboard or poster board practicing a presentation. A sticky note is fastened to the photo of two hats, a fedora and a bonnet. It reads, I love you forever. I'm your fedora. And you're my bonnet. Love. The end. Wow. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I loved it. I'm so glad. That was an amazing story. I'm like, wow, I wonder what would have happened. (laughs) It was pretty convincing. Oh, good. Good. 
Good. Yeah, you're a terrific writer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. I loved it. <laughs> Great. Great. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. So Mary, whose name was Mary Hart. Do you remember Mary Hart? I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Hart, Mary Hart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, f- yeah. I, f- I found um I was when I was looking up information on um Mundelein, I found a um class photo and I was like, "Ooh, how many class photos do they have?" And so I started looking and I found the year of your class photo. <laughs> and I was No. Yeah, and I was oh like looking gosh. through, I was looking through the uh the class and I was like, "Oh, let's see. Let's see if I can find her." And I couldn't find you straight away cuz I was looking for light hair. And I could not find light hair anywhere. And I was like, oh, which, is she not in? Th-? And I was going years. And I was like, no, she's in this one. And then finally I looked and I was like, maybe she had dark hair. And then I found you. And I was like, oh, there she is. And then I saw that, Mary Hart was in that class. And I was like, oh, they kind of look similar. All right, here we go. Watch this. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be a great detective. Oh, it's like th- there's there's a lot of research that, go- that goes into these stories a lot. So it's it's part of it is fun for me. Like that, I, I love the research aspect of looking up different areas. Like uh, I, I try to look up views of the city from high up in that area. Like what would what would you see? That sort right. of thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And so now I get the the reference to the bonnet at the end. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love awesome. it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you caught my. I was a. Uh, I like I read the story and then my wife was like, oh, I, I like it. That's cute. And I was like, well, I think I like the last sentence, too, because like of her maiden name. Yeah. And right. Like, right. Oh, that's so adorable. So, yeah. And I wasn't I thought it was just like a weird coincidence that you had thrown that in there until you said that you looked up my picture. So yeah. obviously my name was under it. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 I thought it, I thought it was fun because I like I'm do you remember there was like a Disney cartoon a bunch of years ago called Johnny Fedora. And Mary Blue Bonnet. Mm, I don't know. It was it was like it was just a short, and I I remember like I sing it all the time at home, just oh. because I I don't know why, and I only remember the the like the opening line is like Johnny Fedora, or it's Alice and Alice Blue Bonnet, and I'll just sing that right, and so <laughs> that popped up, and I was like, oh, this is the perfect place to put it, you know? That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember, wow. like, when we were talking, you had mentioned that your your husband, with whom you adopted a son, by this point, he had passed, correct? By the time you had hit 30? Yes. I was right. I had just turned 30 when he died. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to, like, this was my nod to him. Right. So he oh. left you like a little love note in the end. That and... is so sweet. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I was I was Aww. trying to do all of the math correctly in my brain of okay, when did this okay. It was I believe all right, we're just gonna do it. We're just gonna do it. It so, worked. It yeah. worked. Right on. Excellent. So yeah. was was I able to at least capture you i tried to get you know things that you mentioned like i mentioned the weathering heights and bleak house i, I know that was cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that's not too far from the truth really? <laughs> yeah awesome. i always have my books yeah excellent excellent 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does make you think, you know, like what mm -hmm. would have happened. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think I told you, you know, my mom was always trying to counsel me that, you know, this is a, would be a bad decision. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I do think she's right. Yeah. But at the time mm -hmm. I was really, yeah, really into it. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, it was cool. Well done. Right now. I just figured the, the logical step of uh, if you like, no, I have to keep going. I have to keep going. So like you would have hit, it would have been, cause I was looking up how long it takes to become an OBGYN. Um, and it's a long time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Way a, too a long. long a long time. A long, expensive time. <laughs> yeah. It's not so. And I'm thinking like there, there's no way that there's uh, uh, a 25 year old OB that is dumb. No. No. Uh -uh. At all. I don't think so. Too yeah. many things to learn. Too many things that could go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a trip when I see like, I'm remembering like Doogie Hauser, and then there's a show now called The Good Doctor. I don't know if it's still on. It's about like some super genius kid. But even if they're super geniuses, don't they have to go through the the eight years of practice before they can just be full on? You would no, think not in right? movies, not in, not yeah, in no, TV shows. No. <laughs> they're just done. Done. Yeah, for the drama, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> There was actually, weirdly, um, speaking of Mundelein and geniuses, mm. my best friend, her roommate was 13. What? Because she was a genius. Wow. But it was such a disaster. I mean, <laughs> because, you know, we're all 18, 19, and mm. she's this little, and she was very tiny for her age. Mm. So she was like this little kid in the dorms and, you know, we're like drinking or whatever. And it was just really super awkward. <laughs> I was like, we're yeah. into underage drinking, but not that underage. <laughs> right. It's a little <laughs> bit too. Oh, man. Too extreme. Yeah. I like, like, I remember like, I think it was because of Dookie Hauser, like child geniuses were all the rage. In like the right. latter part of the 90s, right? It was all about child geniuses, getting them into college and all this jazz. But, I mean, they tend to peter out. Like most of them, by the time they're 20, they're either super depressed or addicted to drugs or whatever. Just, I think it's because of the pressure that we put on kids, you oh know? Oh, God, yeah. They're still developing. Hormones are going crazy. And they're like, all right, you're in college. Do this final exam you know, <laughs> at 13 years old. Right. And I think that, you know, it, I, I don't know about all child geniuses, but mm -hmm. I just obviously her, she was fine in the classes, but she just, she really did have a hard time making friends or, sure. and I think that she was depressed because, mm -hmm. you know, she was stuck in this environment with all of these, you know, older kids. Like yeah. if I were her parents, I would never, ever, ever have done that. And I don't see the appeal yeah. of that as a parent. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you do that to your kid? I mean, cause is she going to join the workforce at 15? That's just, yeah, that's the thing. Right. Like, what is the advantage? Yeah. And I, I, I think the, the ones that we see in the news a lot are either in medicine or music, right? Because, like, mm -hmm. okay, some 13-year-old, sure, they can write some songs and you know, start touring as super geniuses composing. Cause I remember there was this kid that was a composer. Right. And, um, I remember like it, it, his understanding of music and the mathematics of it was like through the roof. But I remember there were a lot of people that were like kind of downplaying it because like this kid thinks everything he does is perfect. And <laughs> like, there's no composer that exists that has ever created something and not 
scratched out and amended. I mean, even if you look at Mozart and Beethoven, they were all kinds of like adjustments and stuff. So, I mean, I, that, I guess that makes sense. But I mean, if you're like a super accountant at 11, you're not going to start doing taxes at 14, you know, like, hey, uh, this is my accounting practice. Uh, come to my office. We'll sit down. We'll talk. I'll come do in. taxes. No, you know. Uh, no. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, no matter what profession you're in and no matter how smart you are, you need some um, life experience. Yeah. Which, you know, kind of goes back to the writing, too. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be a brilliant novelist or a brilliant writer. Mm-hmm just out of college but i think it would be tough um because you have nothing nothing to go on yeah well you might have had a bad childhood or you could write about that or whatever but it's mm-hmm. you still lack the perspective yeah what, what i what i find is like oftentimes young writers write about young people mm-hmm. and you know kids and stuff because that's like the extent of their i mean you can't really tell the story from a perspective of a 50 year old fisherman Right. If you've never seen the water, I mean, you, you can guess, but you know, there's a whole lot missing just from you know understanding what what it like, what kind of emotions. How tired you, go you feel? Yeah, <laughs> like I'm 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 41 now, and like once I hit 40, like my energy levels are so low. I'm like, am I dying? Is that what's <laughs> happening? Why can't I just get up and do things with a smile on my face? Why am I always so you know curmudgeon? You know. I know. So. I know. It's funny. Yeah. We were just, we were just before we got on this podcast, I, we were, I had to take my daughter somewhere and we were walking out the door and the woman at the door was like, so happy and cheerful. She's like, goodbye. Have a nice day. And my daughter turned to me and she's like, did you used to be like that too, mom? <laughs> I'm like what? <laughs> Brat. Oh, rude. <laughs> Kids are so I'm rude. tired. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the snap, crackle and pop in the mornings just <laughs> sitting on the edge of the bed reminding my body what it feels like to move you know because if it forgets overnight as soon as i lay down it's like all right we're done forever right this is it it's like no come on man no. get up get up are you sure you know so there's all, there's all of that that goes on that's right oh man yeah. but <laughs> huh. Man. Yes. So having the perspective is good. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. th- that being said, did you, when you first started writing um, the, the, the Henrietta and, and Inspector Howard series, was it after you had spent time with the, um, were, the volunteering that you had done in the, um, was it volunteering or were you employed there working with, employed. you were employed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So was it, did you start working on that after that job? having been exposed to people born at that time or was it just something about that era that spoke to you? Well, I, I started working at the nursing home. I worked there for probably about three years. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I had a different job right out of college in graphic arts that had nothing to do with English lit. (laughs) It was a terrible place to work. Mm. Um, and then I quit to, work in a nursing home and um i was there for about three years and then um my husband and i had adopted the baby and that was like a fluke thing and so i quit to be a stay-at-home mom and -hmm. then it wasn't until he was 16 um that i decided to start writing 
again or like try it and see what happened oh okay yeah yeah it was a huge gap where i was didn't do really any writing at all except for like cute birthday party invitations and so on (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so then what what would what was about that time period that drew you there well it was a couple of things really um one my the oldest was diagnosed at 16 with adhd i mean had problems all through it it's a long story of how it wasn't diagnosed correctly but finally it it, he he was diagnosed and then i started reading all about it and then i'm like you know i think there's something wrong with the second kid too turns out no but um you know it was enough to make me panic and i had been doing all this volunteer work and i was on all these committees and I'm like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you should be home with your kids and, you know, helping them instead of out helping all these other kids. So um, I quit all of my volunteer jobs, which were a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just really hard because I'm really a yes person. So it was really hard to quit some of them. But I'm like, you know what? You're not going to pick and choose. Right. So I quit. Okay. And I got them into therapy and, you know, all this kind of stuff and tutors. And then I'm like, you know what, this, I think was an overreaction. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think I really had to quit everything. So now I have this like huge glut of time. Gotcha. And at the same time, um, I just, I, I attract a lot of depressed negative people. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why, (laughs) but I do. Okay. And you know, I would find myself, um, you know, spending a lot of time dwelling on people's, you know, issues and mm. like thinking of ways to help them and da, da, da. And I'm like, you know what? You can spend all of this brain energy on trying to help people and they're not, they're not listening to you anyway. Mm-hmm. But maybe you could take this brain energy and do something creative with it do something positive. I'm like, you know, you could probably have 10 books written by now with the, the amount of energy that you're pouring into hmm. trying to help, you know, people who right. aren't really, like I said, listening anyway. Yeah. So I felt, you know, you know, maybe I should do this, like do something creative, do something positive. Mm-hmm. And also last thing, four different people from four different areas of my life randomly came up to me and said, you should write a book. <laughs> Okay. I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to write a book. I think I'm going to try it. I think I kind of always wanted to write a book. I've always been afraid to write a book. Okay. Uh, so this seems like the perfect, you know, combination of events for you to just sit down. You have this glut of time. Sit down and see if you can actually do it. Mm. And And so I did. It wasn't to get published or anything like that. It was just to see if I could, if I could do it. I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right on. <laughs> so that's a long answer. Yeah. Okay. So, but why the 1930s? Oh, well, so the book that I wrote was also based on a woman from a nursing home. It was a different book. It's, it's a book that has yet ever to be published. Gotcha. It probably okay. never will be published. It was kind of more of a, like a practice book. Ah, okay. So um, I tried to get a, an agent for it. I, I submitted to 200 agents. No one would take it. Whoa. I think it was too long. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, um, I decided to start over okay. and I thought, you know, I'm going to write something short and fast and 
you know, mysterious and sexy and, you know, I'm going to try to make it more uh, appealing to an agent. Okay. So I went through all of my stories that I had collected from the nursing home and I picked um, Henrietta's. Okay. That's not a real name, obviously. Right, yeah. And she had these amazing jobs in the 30s in Chicago. She was she worked at the World's Fair as a Dutch girl. So she had to dress up as a Dutch girl every day. She worked for this Dutch rubber company, and she would hand out these flyers. Fun. And it was her favorite job ever because on her lunch hour or lunch whatever break, she mm. got to walk around the whole fair and sure. see everything. So she worked uh. at like Marshall Fields as like a hair curler demonstrator. Okay. Um, you know. It. A taxi dancer. So she just had so many unique jobs that were specific to the 30s. And mm. I'm like, you know what? I can, I had more knowledge of the 40s. Okay. I'm like, you know what? You can fake it <laughs> <laughs> enough yeah. to write a book set in the 30s. And then when I decided to turn it into a series, I'm like, oh no, now I have to write a whole series based in the 30s. But by then I was kind of used to it and I was actually glad. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So. Fun. Excellent. Yes. Oh, was there anything else about the story that we didn't talk about yet that spoke to you? Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, well, I thought it was pretty impressive that you researched um, chemical equipment <laughs> so <laughs> deeply. I'm like, wow, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, what, what, uh, what are tools in a lab? What are what are what are those called? What would she be washing? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's is that behind you on the wall? Is that your college? Uh, yeah, is that? Does the, it look familiar? Yes, yeah, I was like yeah. that. That looks like That's the same the shape. Same shape. Yeah. All right, so you had, so you have light hair now, and I was yeah. trying to find you, and I was like, okay, there are two women here that might be her, but. Probably not. So on the on the far right toward the bottom, and I've already forgotten the names of the of the two women that I thought you might be. Um, on the far right on the bottom, there's uh there's a girl who has eyes that look like yours. Okay. Uh, but she has straight blonde hair. Uh, and then the other one has like this wavy blowout that I was like, ah, oh, it's not as wavy or it's not as like curly as Michelle's. And um, that's also not her name. Neither of them were named <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> but I was like, ah, oh, maybe. That's a clue. Yeah. I was like, maybe it's a pen name. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. You know, but I was like, but she's on the top row just to the left of you. And I was like, it has to be one of these two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, I totally missed like your name is your actual name. It's Michelle. You're on there. Right. Yes. Right. I don't know how I just overlooked it. I'm like, nope. <laughs> just look for light here. Don't even look at the faces. So. Yeah. But isn't it amazing how small the class is? I mean, yeah. that's smaller than my high school. Yeah. Um, I was curious. I, so it, it was an all women's college, right? Right. Who are the men that are in your class? There's, I, you know, it, I think I only remember one and the reason he and he was in all of my classes, too, okay. um, because he was also pre-med. But mm. his mom was the German professor at ah. the school. And so he got to go free. Ah. And so they made an exception for him. Gotcha. To OK. Go to the women's. College. Gotcha. OK. Because I noticed I was like, they're like in, in every year, there are like two to three men. And I was yeah. like why <laughs> yeah there because it's i'm like this is there's no way 
that they are because this is like I was looking at the eighties and because they they stopped in ninety one. I think yeah, that's the last that was one. the end. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like looking mid eighties all the way up to ninety one. I was like, all right, there's there's no way that these are women in transition at this formerly very Catholic school. I I feel like it, it's still pretty Catholic then, but the headmistress like wore her habit in a lot of the photos that I was like, I was reading a lot about Mundelein. Um, And so I was like, there's, there's no way that they are just allowing these women in transition. So how did they get in this school? (laughs) (laughs) So it makes sense. I know what you thought. Okay. Yeah. So it it makes sense. Yeah. I think they were, you know what? I think Mundelein also had a big, big, um, Oh, what do you call it? Continuing ed program. for So a lot of like older women would attend on the weekends because they had, they already had, you know, a big career running. Gotcha. So they would attend on the weekends. And I'm thinking maybe some of those guys were that as well. Cause I don't remember seeing any except for that one. Except for the one. Gotcha. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That makes so much sense. Yeah, nepotism. And in. yes, right. Well, there you go. So it's, you're never going to get away from it ever. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you like looked at since you did so much research, Piper Hall, which was a mansion mm-hmm. there. And book four has a lot because I already tell say this. In book four, Henrietta's younger sister goes to Mundelein. So gotcha. I got to write about the school when it would have just opened. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I did a lot of research too, and nice. apparently there used to be a whole string of those mansions along the lake right there. Mm-hmm. And when Mundelein came into existence, there were actually two. Well, only one remains. Mm-hmm. They they tore the other one down to build a dorm. <laughs> um, Obviously, yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of right. <laughs> so ugly too. Um, but yeah, but there is still one there, and yeah. so it was fun to write book four because I got to talk about them, you know, both as being side by side and what each one was used for. And mm-hmm. it was fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was, it was cool looking at, like, uh, I looked at a lot of pictures of like, it, it was in the paper, like the groundbreaking. So that yes. was fun to see a lot of people yeah. just out there working and, and, and stuff. Well, was cool. what was, yeah. What was significant is that it, it they broke ground in 1929, mm-hmm. just after the stock market crashed. Right, because so best time, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. It would obviously was pre-planned, but yeah. um, I was really shocked that they actually went ahead with it, mm. that they actually continued to fund it and to construct it, despite mm-hmm. the fact that you know the whole country was thrown into poverty. Right. So yeah. I mean, I feel like decisions like that come when people are motivated by like what they believe is the voice of the Lord. You know, yes. God told me. So we're all going to be bankrupt, but yes, we must it, finish so we're it. going to do it. <laughs> you know, so I feel like right. that has that to, to me. That's, that's why it, it, the project was finished is because somebody heard from the Lord that it needed to happen. So that it must be finished. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, right. Probably Cardinal Mundelein. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. Man. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And when I was there, they still had the old elevators with the, the, the grate. Yeah. And the levers. Somebody, 
Yeah, and somebody had to work it. Mm -hmm. So danger. Those are <laughs> such danger. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh man. Yeah. When I was uh when I was in in Portugal, I stayed in there's this hostel uh in Lisbon called the uh, the independence um and or the independent independente yeah the independent and um so they have like community dorms sort of thing mm -hmm. in one area and in in the like adjacent it's all one property but adjacent was this old old mansion and Ooh. like one of the first elevators in the whole country is really? in this building yes wow yeah it was it was very tiny like two to three people max and it was like it, there were only like three floors so you took an elevator to go up 30 feet but i was like every time we went in i was like babe elevator she's like elevator let's go <laughs> why not yeah i mean of course like you go in there are two doors like, like there's the door you open where it, so it hides right um at the staircase you open it up you hop in and there's like a, a, a gate in there that you have to open you close the gate and then you close you pull the door closed and then there's like the lever you hold it down and it goes up and you let it go when you stop it's great and terrifying i loved it i was just gonna say that sounds really scary <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're taking your life in your hands yeah. every time every single time yeah every <laughs> single time it was scary it was scary. Like, your thrill, your I, I like to think that they have like put the brake pads on it and safeguard <laughs> at this point. <laughs> You'd but, like to think. Yeah. Right. Oh man. That's cool. So the, so the elevator was in the hostel or it was in this old mansion. It was or in the old were mansion. Were they one in the same? Yeah. Oh. So like both buildings were owned by the same, ho like ah. it was the hostel runs both buildings and one is a, has several floors and like community area where people sleep. And then there's like a shared uh, dining room and laundry room and stuff. And then you could get a private room in the mansion. <gasps> yeah. So we got a private room in the mansion. And if you get a private room, then you got breakfast on the rooftop every Shut morning. It. Oh, really? How fun. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. And what, oh what I loved about that is the woman that, because uh, like the way that they did breakfast um, there in most places in Europe that I stayed at that had like a breakfast it was like you had like cuts of meat you had mm. a lot of fruit you know, granola and things of that nature cereal um and different kinds of pastries but this woman she was up there and every person that came up she's like hey you want eggs how you want them right? <laughs> <laughs> it was great that's how she greeted everyone and she'd be like singing to herself just hanging out and then someone comes up hey you want eggs how you want them <laughs> I, I and yeah, I fell I fell in love with that. We would just go up there, and she was come like, you know how I want them. She's like, the fried, okay. You know, it was it was my favorite. It was my favorite. Oh my gosh! I hope you wrote all of this down. Oh Maybe yeah, turned it into some kind of I don't know something. Yeah, I, uh, I I we had I had a a flip like a like a little flip camera. It was I think it's called oh. a flip, and so I recorded these little videos every. Like just about oh, every morning God. and I'd be like, Hey, say hello, Stephanie. Then my wife, her name's Stephanie. So like, say hello, Stephanie. And it would be like super early. She's like, hello, stop it. Get that off me sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was like, talk, yeah, talk about all the breakfasts and all the places that we went. It was great. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a good time. That's cool. Scary elevators. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just, we went to Asheville just a couple of weeks ago and we stayed at this 
old hotel from like 1913 and it was mm -hmm. all like sort of that arts and craft mission style okay and it had this huge gigantic fireplace and they had an elevator built into the fireplace shaft it was one of those old ones with the grates okay so they had built it into the fireplace shaft ah, so that okay. it wouldn't make any noise interesting <laughs> yeah it was really weird huh the, wow. Yeah, when we were checking in, they're like, okay, so you just go to the elevator. It's right over there. And we're looking, you know, and there's like this tiny door. We're like, that? <laughs> She's like, yeah, just open it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> That's, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it worked. Oh, at least there's that. I did, I did one time ride in a, a former like dummy waiter that no. was, yeah. But you'd have to like, Curl yeah, up. I mean, it was like it was at this point, I feel like it was the shtick thing because like you had to sit <laughs> down, you like you crouch, you get in and you sit down on this little there was like a little cushion. You set it down on the cushion and they're like, what floor do you want? And I was like this floor. So they would bring you up to that floor. Then you'd have to crawl out. And I, was, I did it once and that was all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yes. One time you're yeah. done. Finished. Was it no. too scary? Yeah. I, I mean, like I, I was cramped. I was like, if this thing falls, I'm. There's no chance. Pretty much dead. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. No thanks. And it's like, uh, there, there, that type of thrill isn't what motivates me. So it was fun to take the ride one time, and I'm like, I'd never need this again. I don't no. ever, ever Done. want this again. So, Off your bucket list. Now. Yeah. Finished. Ride in a dumbwaiter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man. Yes. Yeah. Fun times. Indeed. <sighs> All right, I think this is this is a good place to to wind everything down. This was a lovely conversation with my guest Michelle Cox. Her website, Michelle Cox Author. Check out dot uh, com, obviously. Yeah, but check out all of her books. Read her blog. Her your blog is on the website as well. Yes. Yeah. So you can read her blog, which tells the stories of you know some of the people that she met while working at the nursing home, and. Um, yeah, follow her on Twitter and Instagram and get ready for book number. So you ha you're you working on book number six yeah. and a separate standalone project. Correct. Excellent. Actually, two separate standalone projects. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Wonderful. So there's plenty in the pipeline. If the five are not enough, more is coming. <laughs> but you have five books, to play, five books to play with in the Henrietta and Inspector Howard series. Again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate having you on the show. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Daniel. This was really fun. You yeah. did a great job on the story. I'm thrilled. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'll send you a copy. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll send oh you a copy God. so you can have, <laughs> so you can read it again if you want to. If I will. Wonderful. Yeah, no, I could like really study it. Yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. Don't. <laughs> yeah. I, no, no, no. I'll just have to make sure all the typos are fixed. <laughs> I tend to read through the typos <laughs> as I'm going. Oh, why not? Yeah. So, okay. So, for Michelle, I am D. Come back next week for another episode. Follow the podcast on Twitter at OTHU Podcast, on Instagram at OTHU underscore podcast. We out. Bye. Bye.